So we weren't going to do a life connection today. We were just going to do Q&A because, to be honest, I haven't had any time to prepare a life connection um, this week. It's been time spent elsewhere and not really in sermon writing mode personally. Um, Friday night, I was talking really late with my uh, mentor. His name's Jason. And uh, as we were talking, uh, I was up to like midnight talking to him. <laughs> he didn't know any of this as far as like had happened over the last week and a half. He's been busy and obviously I've been a little bit busy. And so um, I was giving him the update on all that had taken place. And at the end of that conversation, I just said, um, I need to do a life connection in some capacity. Um, and if not for you guys, for me, <laughs> um, I need to teach on forgiveness and remind myself how important it is that we all journey through that together right now. Um, I don't know where you are. Maybe this for you is not an issue of forgiveness. Maybe for you, you're like, I'm good. I'm moving forward. I don't even, maybe you don't even have context for, for this. And this might even be your like first time ever being with this group of people, um, so maybe this isn't going to land as well for you, but I think we can all learn and grow to forgive better. Um, but I think currently in our circumstance, we certainly can as well. And so I'm just going to read a parable of Jesus and then talk a little bit about it, and maybe it will connect with some of us. This is in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And sometimes it says seven, depending upon, depending upon the, uh, the reference. But ultimately, Jesus is like seven times the number of completion, right? In, in the scriptures, Jesus is like way more than the number of completion. You are not complete. You have not completely forgiven your brother at seven. You keep going, and ultimately you don't stop. You keep on forgiving. Even when it hurts, even when you can't make sense of their actions, you keep on forgiving. And then Jesus goes into the story, and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... I'm just going to pause there. The kingdom of heaven is like... One of the things the Belong Collective will be centered on is the kingdom. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, and I think it is uh, our job as followers of Jesus to be about the kingdom. You can be about so much more when you look at the scriptures, but ultimately Jesus was always about the kingdom. When he talked about what it meant to, to, to follow after the heart of God, he talked about the kingdom. So when we open the scriptures and we see the kingdom referenced, we say this is priority, to live out the words of the kingdom. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So there's this king. Any king in a great kingdom might make loans. And eventually when he's going through his books, he has a collection of books of all the people who owe him. And as he goes through this collection of books of all the people who owe him, he says, man, this person owes me a lot. 
And ultimately, the amount this person owes him is probably in the millions, okay? That's what the, the text and the translation to today, it would have been a lot of money this individual owed the king. And the man can't pay. And so the king says, well, the consequence of not being able to pay is that you're sold into slavery and your family is sold into slavery to help pay the debt. Even that wouldn't have paid off all of his debt, but it would have got him maybe a little closer So what's the servant's response? The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything, even though that's impossible. Like he could work his whole life, three jobs a day. There's no way he's going to pay this back. The The servant's master, so the king, took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. Seems as if Jesus is pointing even here to the forgiveness God has for us, that we've been forgiven so much, like so much, more than we could ever afford ourselves, more than we could ever uh, manage. Anything you've ever done, anything you're doing, anything you ever will do has been forgiven, and that's a lot. And, and, and it might even be that, like, we don't deserve it. We were maybe really bad stewards with that grace, right? Um, and he's like, even in your bad stewardship as, as a borrower, <laughs> even as you maybe went out and blew it all on something stupid, like, he's like, you know, I see you, and I have grace, and I have mercy, and I've forgiven you. So he forgives the man. But when the servant went out... He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which like a hundred denarii is like a few bucks, like maybe a hundred bucks, you know, 10 bucks. There's a variety of different views on how much exactly that would translate to today, but it's not that much because not only does the king have a book, but the servant has a book too. He has people who owe him money, who owe him money. And uh, he grabbed him. And began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me. And this servant, of the servant who was just forgiven this huge amount of debt, this servant fell on his knees and begged. He said, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened... They were greatly distressed and went back and told the king everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says these words in the close of the parable. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let me say this. In the scriptures, these parables are imagery, common imagery that people would be used to. I don't think Jesus is positioning God as angry here, although he's using this image that everyone would be used to. Just like he uses image of seed scattering for the agriculturalist who might 
be familiar with this to share how certain things will sprout up, certain things won't, just like he's sharing. Uh, they live in a time of kings and rulers and masters and debts and how they're paid and torture and what a king does. And so he's using this metaphor to explain that when you refuse to forgive, you are in essence letting go of the forgiveness that's been given you. Like it is so important in receiving forgiveness that you offer it. In essence, it's one of those things that when you stop letting it flow through you, it stops flowing at all. If you try to hold it and say it's only for me, or I'm the only one who gets forgiveness, and you don't offer it to others, it dries up really quick. I think we are in a season, maybe as people, as even a collective of people, where forgiveness is really important. Some of us have been really hurt by this process, even going back some time. Forgiveness is really important. If we live with resentment and bitterness, it will eat us from the inside out. We must forgive. Even people who we expected maybe more of, even people who maybe we expected different results, even um, for some of us, the feelings and emotions that have been there over the last week, I would encourage you to begin the process of forgiveness. And I want to explain forgiveness. Some people see forgiveness as like a one-time deal, and I've just been around too much to... to <laughs> To, to believe that anymore. I did growing up. Like forgiveness is just forgive and forget and move on, right? Um, that is not the way of forgiveness, I don't think. Um, some of us see forgiveness like a light switch. You just flip it and it's done. Walk away. I think forgiveness is much more like a dimmer. And some days you're going to walk in the room and you're going to choose to forgive and it's going to be a bright day. And other days you're going to walk in the room and you're going to try to turn the light on. You're going to try to turn the dimmer up, but it's just dark and it's hard and it's difficult. And as much as you try to make it brighter, it's hard, and it's, it's difficult. And I just want to say, like, that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. It's a process. It's not something that you're going to have better days than others at forgiving, but ultimately we should all be striving toward a brighter room that's filled with forgiveness. And I think in that, in that, Jesus is able to cover the difference. Jesus' light is able to shine in the room covering our deficits covering where we're missing the mark. That's the beauty of grace, is that we're striving to forgive. And as we strive, we get closer and closer to what it looks like to be following Jesus and looking like Jesus as we follow. You know, imagine the amount of forgiveness it takes to be hanging on a cross, murdered, like knowing that's your fate while you're in that place, looking at the people who did that to you while they're mocking you and say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. I think for some of us, that might be some helpful words to consider over these next few weeks. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Like, mercy and grace extended to us must extend to others. If not, we are not about the kingdom. And so I encourage you to grow in grace, to grow in love, to grow in mercy, and to grow ultimately in forgiveness. 
as I thought about how we might close out this time together of the Life Connection, I thought, you know, we should do communion. Um, and some of you might be uncomfortable with communion, and that's fine. Um, but we have an open table at the Belong Collective because I just decided we do. So that's how we make decisions. At, um, <laughs> um, uh, anyone's welcome to come to the table. Um, but ultimately, what this represents, and for some people, it's really mystical. But And maybe that is the experience for you as you come to the table and take communion. And that's great if that's for you. But even if you're here and you're like, I don't get into all that mystical stuff. I don't know what this is about. Um, ultimately, what, what the table represents is an opportunity to center ourselves on the cross. Um, to center ourselves on a body broken and blood poured out. All because of love. All because of grace. All because of mercy. And then it's a reminder that here's the deal. We're very divided in this room. Like, let's not act like we're super united, every single one of us. We're not. We all have different beliefs. We all have different politics. We all have different things that we prioritize in our life. But the beautiful thing about the communion table is we come to it and we say, we have all these divisions, but ultimately what matters most, Christ and living a Christ-centered life, we are connected in. We are unified in. And from that place, any division's possible, left wing, right wing, whatever. Like, we, we can have that. We can journey through that because we're connected where it matters most. We, we, hopefully, the Belong Collective will be a community where we can model what it looks like to disagree well. Like imagine that community in our world today. How much does our world need that community? A community where we can sit next to each other, love one another deeply, have grace and mercy for one another while we deeply disagree on meaningful things in our world. Like how cool would that be? I think it's possible, and I think it's possible as we come to the table today to let this even be in our minds, in our hearts, representative of like all that stuff isn't what binds us together. That's all an illusion. What binds us together is Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and I want to grow to look more like that in my own life. And if I want to grow to look more like that in my own life, I'm going to need a community around me pushing me that direction. I'm going to need a community around me supporting me, encouraging me, loving me, showing me the way of Jesus, and encouraging me when they see the way of Jesus in me. And so communion centers our hearts and minds on the cross. It moves us closer to a posture of, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it unites us in the midst of all the divisions on Jesus. And so Jesus said, take and eat, my body broken for you. Jesus said, take and drink, my blood poured out for you. And so we will have the table open as Glenn plays a little bit. And as the table is open, you can come up and you can participate. There was a quote about the table that I think is perfect for the Belong Collective. It was actually said by Rachel Held Evans, whose funeral was yesterday. And here's how it reads. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table. Not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry. Because they said yes. And there's always room for more.